You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 271 by Rudolf Steiner, entitled Art and Theory of Art. This is the third section, an essay, translated by Dorrit Winter and Clifford Venno. Essay is given on, was uh, written on 1898. Before me lies a book that awakens lovely memories. Robert Fischer, son of the famous aesthetician Friedrich Theodor Fischer, has begun publishing his father's work. He calls the book, which he compiled with great effort and care, from the literary estate of the deceased titled Beauty and Art. As I read the book, all of the ideas I once developed about the nature of the arts arise in me again. In quotes, once refers to the period of time some eighteen to twenty years ago. At that time, people my age gleaned explanations about the nature of the arts in the works on aesthetics by Fischer, Weisse, Carrière, Schassler, Lotze, and Zimmermann. These men came from the realm of philosophy, which dominated the development of the first half of our century. Some of them leaned on Hegel, the rest on Herbart. For these men, art was a matter of philosophy. Goethe, Schiller, and Jean-Paul, in their own way, also had their ideas about the nature of art. But they began with art itself. They expressed what the human being is compelled to think when he allows art to work on him. Art itself gave birth to their concepts about art. Fischer, Carrière, Weisse, Zimmermann, and Schassler did not, at first, start directly with living nature. They contemplated the entirety of phenomena in the world. Artistic productions, too, were part of these world phenomena. Just as they investigated the nature of light, of warmth, and of the evolution of animals, so too did they investigate the nature of art. Their points of departure were those of scientific men, not artistically sensitive souls. Of course, I do not mean to suggest that a man like Friedrich Theodor Fischer lacked artistic sensitivity in the highest and purest sense of the word. On the contrary, his relationship to art is as lively and personal as can be. But when he speaks about art, he speaks as a philosopher. For Fischer, the world was a manifestation of the divine spirit. Therefore, representing the divine spirit in marble, in lines and colors, or in words, is for him art. How does the artist manifest the divine spiritual in sense-perceptible substance? This was Fischer's basic question. An elevated, mature philosophical schooling is the basis of all his expositions. The language he speaks is understood by few today. It could only be understood by those whose education included the philosophical thoughts of Schelling and Hegel. Only such people could be interested in the questions Fischer considered, in the thoughts he communicated. Today, very few can read a book by Fischer as his contemporaries read it. The content of the book does not address people of the present time. 
For Fisher, art was ultimately an impersonal matter. It belonged to the tasks given to the human being by higher powers. True, Fisher did not believe in a personal God, but he believed in a God, a fundamental spiritual essence that comes to life in nature, in history, in art. This fundamental essence stands above the human being. The best among us relinquished this belief. For them the spirit is not independent. For them the spirit exists only in so far as nature has the capacity to bring forth from itself the spiritual. The most elevated spirit is brought forth, according to them, by the human being who gives birth to it out of his own nature. People of today believe what is natural exists within the human being, and what is spiritual is engendered by the human being. Fisher considers the artist to be a human being filled with the divine spirit, which he then manifests in his works of art. For people of today, the artist is someone who has the desire to control things forcefully and to imprint his personality onto them. They do not believe that works of art ought to embody spirit. Instead, they want to create things according to their own ideas, their own fantasy. Fisher says the sculptor shapes marble into a human form that does not correspond to any actual human being. For the human being carries within himself unconsciously the idea of humanity as a whole, the archetypal image of the human being. And this is what he wants to embody. This archetype is the divine in the human being. Modern people know nothing of such an archetype. All they know is that a form appears before their soul when they consider the human being, and that they want to give this form reality. Next to the natural world, they want to bring forth a world of art that enters into their temperament, their fantasy. This is a world determined by the human being, not a world sprung from divine spirit. Today, people no longer understand when one speaks of art as a realization of the divine. They can only grasp that the human being has the desire to form things according to his temperament, according to his inspiration. Contemporaries want to speak about art as human. They do not want to enter into the religious undercurrent in Fisher's commentaries. The end of part three.